Spoke Media. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. So what are you looking for for us to say? What are we looking for? We're in the car. We're just moving on. <laughs> Last summer, we met the Peterson family at their home on Long Island. It's a few hours east of New York City in the suburbs. They were gathered up for a family birthday. And some producers from the family ghost team joined them. Thank you all for coming to my birthday. So it's a tradition in our family that every single time on someone's birthday, you say what your favorite thing about them is. So if you can tell Colleen what your favorite thing about them is. <laughs> the Petersons are a big, tight-knit clan. They have lots of family parties, lots of traditions. Like every Easter, they do something they call a road rally. Uncle Rob writes rhyming clues based on local history and family lore, and then the rest of the family drives around town figuring out where the clues lead. Even though it's Easter, they don't pick up eggs, they pick up little tokens for their team, like the green team finds all the green ones. And the tokens are made of tape and PVC pipe, so they once got in trouble for leaving one at an airport, because as one family member told us, they did sort of look like bombs. Anyways, that's not what this story is about. That's the thing about spending time with the Petersons. You often find yourself listening to one story and then getting drawn into this whole other thing. The person who introduced us to the Petersons and all their quirks is Kieran, the youngest member of the family. Kieran is the one who decided to bring a couple of podcast producers to a family birthday party. She had some questions about her grandfather, Einar Olaf Peterson. In my family, the stories, they kind of just come out of nowhere. Um... From a really early age, they were just like, oh, your grandfather did this, your grandfather did that. This crazy thing happened. He robbed a bank. Einer died more than 20 years ago, when Kieran was six. But in the family, Einer is immortal, a legend. Kieran can't remember when she first started hearing the stories. They've just always been there, popping up in conversation at the kitchen table, in the car on the way to school, drying dishes at the sink. You would just hear about these things kind of like amorphously. Out on Long Island with Kieran's family, we saw this happen exactly as she'd described. We'd be talking about something normal, like piecing together a timeline of Einer's life, and then suddenly someone would cut in. He owned a diamond mine at one point. He didn't own it. Oh, sorry, he was a co-owner. He had, he had the deed for a diamond mine. Um, Stole I think, it or something. Uh, the conversation was... Did you catch that? Kieran's brother Ryan muttered, I think he stole it or something. Stole the deed to a diamond mine. And then Kieran's Aunt Robin just continued on, kept talking. That's how it is with stories about Grandpa Einer, how it has always been. Kieran heard all these stories in pieces. By and large, it's like tiny little fragments that get told as you like ask for them. The thing that's always wild about them is like these stories all kind of have like names. And so it'll be like the diamond mind or the ATM thing, like the serial one. The stories go something like this. Oh yeah, Grandpa Einer was involved in some kind of arms deal. Maybe in Nicaragua, maybe the CIA was involved. Or Grandpa was on stage with Joe Colombo, the alleged mob boss, when Colombo got shot at an Italian-American rally. Yeah, no, we're not Italian. There are whispers that Grandpa Einer's money came from the mob, that he knew the Vanderbilts, got special treatment from the governor. All of this made him sound like some kind of mysterious, glamorous criminal. But in other stories, 
Kieran got glimpses of a Grandpa Einer who was more of a small-time wheeler-dealer. He had a scheme for a while where he stuffed toys into cereal boxes and somehow made money doing that. Then that scheme dried up, maybe because he scammed the cereal company, or maybe because he crossed the mob. Was this before or after the scheme with the diapers, or the scheme with the dinosaur-shaped soap? Oh yeah, and don't forget, he ran a Spanish-language newspaper, even though he couldn't speak a word of Spanish. So Kieran had these pieces, partial, contradictory, and sometimes unbelievable, like the CIA, the mob, the Vanderbilts. Really? So I think part of me is, like, a little frustrated with my family. When you, like, meet other families and you talk to them, you're like, what's this thing that happened? They might have, like, a divergent at some point, but, like, there's a basic understanding of reality. And I feel like with my family, there's, like, we turn left. No, we actually turned right. It's like, actually, we never won at all. And it's like, what happened? I don't know. It feels important. Karen had this sense that her grandfather wasn't really a glamorous Hollywood criminal. And also the sense that growing up, life for Kieran's dad and her aunts and uncles had not always been as cool and fun and dramatic as people like to make it sound. When we used to tell these stories, we only told, like, the heroic, cool version of it. As near as Kieran can tell, there were times when Einer was actually verifiably rich, possibly even powerful. For a couple years, Einer lived in a fancy apartment on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Once Einer did come home with a brand new red Thunderbird convertible, Kieran's dad remembers driving it to school. But over time, Kieran started asking what happened next in those stories. And the more she heard, the more her grandfather started to seem like kind of a deadbeat. Einer lost that fancy apartment, and then they had basically no money, and the kids ate tuna fish sandwiches for most of their meals. A year after that Thunderbird showed up, someone came to take it away. Einer's businesses went bankrupt over and over. He cheated on all of his wives. His credit was so bad, he started opening cards in his kids' names. Recently, Kieran has been feeling fed up with the mystery about who her grandfather really was. And that's partly because the older Kieran gets the more she starts to recognize those extreme sides of Einer in herself. I'd much rather make someone happy than tell the truth. That means Kieran sometimes finds herself looking on the bright side, ignoring bad things until they get too bad to ignore. The idea of like always looking on the bright side is that it feels stable to just be like, oh, we always look on the bright side. But the reality is like, it, like it's a naturally unstable way to live your life to just be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, wait, I'm drowning in lava. Kieran has been working on finding that middle ground, reality. And with her family, with these big dramatic stories about Grandpa Einer, stories that always looked at the bright side first, Kieran had the same impulse. She wanted to know, without all the drama, what really happened? What can we say for sure? And a couple years ago, Kieran got a clue. Her older brother sent out this email to the family with a link to an article in the New York Times. The article begins, quote, Five businessmen were indicted in Brooklyn federal court yesterday on charges of defrauding Citibank of $1.6 million. In the last paragraph of the article, it named one of the defendants, Einer Peterson. Kieran had heard of this story, the bank heist story, 
The article didn't say heist, but it did say defraud and $1.6 million. And when Kieran read this, she thought, finally. The newspaper of note has like written this thing down, like something happened. At least we know that something happened. The article was sparse on details. But luckily, there was another document that could help. My dad was like, oh, that's the one that I have the screenplay about. And I was like, what? In this screenplay, apparently co-written by Einer himself, her grandfather supposedly told the whole story of the bank heist. So the next time Kieran went home, she asked her dad to get the script out of the basement. I like read the entire screenplay that weekend. It's called Collateral for 10 Million. The story involves forgery, the mob, and millions of dollars hidden in offshore bank accounts. The main character, Peter Sorensen, seems to be based on Kieran's grandpa, Einar Peterson. Crucially for Kieran, this was a story that she could also track down in the public record. She didn't have to take her grandfather's word for it. She could try to find out what really happened, and along the way, maybe she could figure out who Einer actually was. I think it's important that like you should probably work to remember people and like for like the, the actual things that people did. I don't know, I'm gonna cry. I always cry at these things. But I think that it's important to like actually make an effort to remember things. From Spoke Media and WALT, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman, and this is episode 21, Collateral for 10 Million. After the break, Kieran goes looking for the real Einar Peterson. We're going to get back to that bank heist and the screenplay, Collateral for $10 million. But before we get into any of that, we wanted to know what Kieran herself could remember about Grandpa Einer, what she could say for sure. Kieran's memories of her grandfather are little kid memories. She was only six years old when he died. Normally I would get, like, handed to him. So my all my memories are, like, are saying goodbye or hello is most of it. Like, you arrive and you get handed to Grandpa and you give a Grandpa a hug and then you get handed back. When she was hugging Einer goodbye, he would often slip Kieran some cash. You never really knew what was happening until the money was in your hand. And you'd be like, oh, oh my God, like, thank you. He'd be like, he'd say some quip about it. He'd be like, don't spend it all in, like, the one place or careful where you spend it, like, spend it well. Kieran said it always felt like a secret between the two of them like they were conspiring against her parents. Though, Kieran said, her parents wouldn't have minded if Grandpa Einer gave her five cents to buy some candy. Other than that, she remembers that he smelled like cigars and that he had a low voice. He would grunt and like do, he would be like Kieran's brothers have more memories of Einer than she does. They lived with him when they were kids. When Einer was at the end of his life, he moved in with his daughter, Robin. So Kieran says that many of her memories of Einar are really this mishmash of what she remembers and what her brothers have told her. So that's a big part of the reason we went out to Long Island to crash Kieran's sister's birthday party. She wanted to ask her brothers about Einar. Now, a quick note about Kieran's siblings. They're technically her double cousins. Kieran's dad, Chip, and Chip's sister, Robin, both married a brother and sister from this other family called the Mealies. So since it's a brother and a sister from one family married 
to a sister and brother from another, their kids are double cousins. But they basically think of themselves as siblings, so that's the terminology we're using in this story. Like I said, nothing with the Petersons is ever simple. When Kieran's older brothers, Cullen and Ryan, were kids, Grandpa Einer lived in a room downstairs. They remember that he had a whole wall of dressers, drawers full of who knows what. He had a tackle box full of cheap jewelry, and he would let their sisters pick out a piece to keep when they came over. He watched loud TV and cooked Norwegian fish balls late into the night. He did some normal grandfather things, like read them Dr. Seuss books. He would babysit sometimes. And for a little while, they figured out, they could call Einar and pretend to be sick, and he would come and pick them up and let them hang out at home all afternoon. Their mom put a stop to that when she found out. Their mom said the fact that Einar lived on a separate floor, that was on purpose. Basically, she thought her dad was a bad influence. I, I, I remember Dude. stealing his Playboys. Yeah, yeah, and and, Other types of and harder core porn as well. He had a whole drawer full of it. Um, <laughs> but in his defense, when I asked him to get rid of them after I found out, he did. Okay. Really? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, he didn't get rid of them. When Cullen and Ryan talk about their grandfather, they take a different tone than the one Kieran takes. They are a lot less forgiving than I am. If you talk to my brother about. Grandpa Einer, he'll be like, well, he pissed in jars in our living room. Like, he, like, watched TV and just, like, died. Einer was an alcoholic. Ryan and Cullen said he was drunk all the time. All, all day, every day, drunk. <laughs> he had a cooler cup, and he would start out with Bloody Marys, and then around uh, noon, he would start pouring tonic in there, and then he would just, they would transition to gin and tonic by two. That's Kieran's brother, Ryan. I, I wouldn't say that I'm mad at him. I just don't think that he's a good guy at all. Mm. I don't think there's much redeeming value besides a couple of chuckles here and there. I mean, there were certainly things about his life that were very interesting, but most of it was BS. I don't agree with that. And that's Kieran's other brother, Cullen, saying, I don't agree with that. Cullen says he doesn't necessarily think the BS was a bad thing. Mom's ability to compartmentalize trauma and move past it is because of his loose relationship with the truth and with reality. I mean, he was a larger-than-life character for all of us, even now. Whereas Cullen saw Einer as a character, Ryan used a different word to describe him. Overall, I think he was as close to a sociopath that I have ever come into contact with. I think that he viewed the world as, I live here and these people are part of it. Not so fast, said Colin. Maybe it's more complicated than that. Him lying about things and him making up things, there's, there's part of it that's detrimental, but there's also part of it that's beneficial. When we talked to Kieran about this later, she said that this kind of debate about the facts of family history, and specifically about Grandpa Einer, it happens a lot in her generation of Petersons. And she thinks that's partly because a lot of them have gotten sober. We used to glorify alcohol in, like, everything that we did. We, like, made it a part of everything. Um, and so it was always a part of our stories, and now it's, like, this major thing that we're kind of reevaluating our stance on as a family. And so, like, this naturally is going to 
for me at least, has naturally has like meant that I look at these stories differently. Kieran herself still drinks. But because of her family's history of alcoholism, she's cautious about it. I'm like knowing every beer that I have. Just, for me, I'm just a person who's like really aware of how much I use substances. Maybe that's part of the reason that like these stories are hard to understand is it's like, well, now that we're sober and we're like trying to take accounting for our actions and like actually just keep an account of what really actually is going on. And of course, that's the other reason we went out to Long Island, to find out the real story behind one legend that seems like it maybe might be true. The bank robbery. The screenplay. Collateral for 10 million. But as with so many stories about Grandpa Einer, when Kieran tried to get to the truth, one story bled into another. When Kieran asked about the screenplay, one of her brothers said, oh yeah, the screenplay. The one about the fur coats. Okay. Wait, what's the, the coats? The coats was when he tried the to do fur it. coats, he tried to steal fur coats. That's Sold. the screenplay. Thousands no, of dollars. No, no, well, the screenplay was the high. Well, there's a difference. The screenplay. That's the, that, 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 that was the screenplay. Yeah, yeah. That was the screenplay. Remember I told you I had it on that box? It turned out that Collateral for 10 million wasn't the only screenplay. In fact, there was an entire box of screenplays in the basement of the house. One of our producers went and got it. Right on top was a horror movie Einer had written, which did not seem to be based in reality. Did Aunt Robin die in it? Right, yeah. I'm dead. Yeah, you're dead. You're right at the beginning. And then there was this other screenplay Kieran hadn't heard of, also about some kind of crime. This is the great call. <laughs> the Great Hilton Jewelry Robbery. <laughs> and what is, totally what's the I don't know what that one is. Kieran's Aunt Robin said, hold on a second. We have to call Uncle Jamie. Of all the kids, Jamie was closest to Einer's criminal side. Einer picked him, in a way, to follow in those particular footsteps. So Jamie got to see Einer in a way that few other people did. So, Robin said, Jamie will know whether the jewelry thing actually happened. Jamie, you're on speaker. Can you tell me, was there a, um, a jewelry heist that we don't know about? Was there a jewelry heist? That was the, um, that was Jamie said, no, 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 no. The jewelry thing, that was just a story. He never did the jewelry. It's gone out of control. Okay, he did so the, the first. the jewelry okay. was fictionalized. And he had nothing to do with Clams R Us, right? What? Because in the jewelry heist, that's what he uses. Yeah, they hid them in the clams. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, this must be clams or us I don't know about. Maybe they still do it. <laughs> but no. It was clear that Uncle Jamie is the one who can untangle Einer's crimes, separate the fact from the fiction. But the family ghost team had not gotten to meet Jamie yet. You should really go into the city and talk to them. They really need your stories firsthand. I will go wherever you want me to go and do this thing for you. That's no problem at all. All right, I love you. All right. After the break, Uncle Jamie. Spoke Media. We were excited when we brought Jamie into the studio. Kieran and the other Petersons thought for sure he was the most likely to have the real story of the bank heist. Because, well, Jamie is the most crime-ish of the Peterson siblings. Well, the only parameters I have is of who I might, names like families I might mention would be. Like some, some most of the people are dead, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah. uh, but certain families I probably wouldn't even bring up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because I don't want to hear the heat. I don't want to hear the heat. You want, you want the heat after you? I do not. 
So we stayed away from certain topics. But Kieran asked Jamie, straight out. Did you ever do anything in relation to this specific bank heist or whatever you want to call it? <laughs> it wasn't a heist. I know, it feels, but I keep using a heist. I just he wrote like it up a, as a heist because that's how he, he wanted to do it. But he would it was love per- to not think uh, it was a heist. Right, exactly. Jamie said, okay, look, the story starts with one of Einer's businesses, a legitimate one. It was a printing and typesetting company. But Jamie, he wasn't working on the printing. In the same office, there was also this whole separate business for Einer's, uh, let's call them peripheral projects. And that is where Jamie worked. I had my own office, my own secretary, and Dad's office was, was next door to me. And there was only the two of us that would kind of go back and forth as far as what went on as far as the other end of the business. Jamie told us the shadier side of the business was vaguely about resource development. They were investing in coal, oil, various fossil fuels, trying to make money. And they planned to use that money for various, mostly legal ventures. Jamie's talk about resource development made Kieran think of the screenplay her grandfather had written. In the screenplay, it's they're raising money for a mine. Oh, it some, is for the diamond To, to mine. buy a, a, coal right. a coal mine. Oh, a coal yeah. mine. Okay, okay. But that's just the screenplay. That's where we started. We started, the, the business started with coal mining. Jamie said that part of his job was going out to look at natural resources the company might want to invest in. He said once, when he was young, he went down to a mine in Kentucky that was supposed to be producing tons of coal. He had seen pictures. Everything looked great. But when he got there... It was uh, one backhoe and a dump truck. And when I finally pulled up to him, I was like, come on, where's the coal mine? <laughs> it's nothing here. But they could still, if you had the pictures and everything else like that, have taken that to the bank and gotten some credit on it because bank's not going to send anybody down there, not from New York. According to Jamie, Einer made this sort of brazen assumption. He was like, hey, I'm not necessarily going to do this, but I could have taken out a loan claiming that coal mine as collateral, and I bet the bank wouldn't have figured out that anything was wrong. I think that was the beginning of the whole gist of realizing you could ask a bank for letters of credit. Letters of credit. The New York Times article that Kieran has gets into this. It says that five defendants were accused of forging passbooks. Before the internet, passbooks were basically a written record of every transaction in one bank account. And as Jamie tells it, what Einer realized after that one coal mine turned up empty was, maybe you could just make a passbook say whatever you want it to say. Well, that was easy to do. You just had to, he was, my dad was in the printing business. It was just somebody typing it up, you know? The key was, you could use those fake passbooks as collateral for a loan. The bank looks at them and is like, great, you have access to tons of money. Here's that business loan you asked for. We're sure you can pay us back. And then the idea was, Einer could use that real loan to fund more legitimate ventures, which means he would make real money and use that to pay back the loan. Jamie says... Einer really was intending to make good. I don't think Dad ever thought of his stealing. He wanted to start the diamond mine. Einer had this dream of a diamond mine in Monrovia, the capital of Liberia. 
I mean, he was down there like three times in uh, Monrovia. I, I, there's all kinds of pictures. I have pictures of Ant Hills, his girlfriends, and all kinds of things. I really sincerely believe he thought he would be able to pay off the mob, whatever other bills he had, and start a diamond mine in Monrovia, and life would be good. But things didn't go that way. Jamie couldn't, or wouldn't, say exactly how some of this stuff happened. But he said the mob somehow got involved. I've dealt with the mob, and they, believe me, they, they'll just take what, as much as they can get, and then they'll move on to the next thing. Because there's a whole bunch of suckers out there that they can play to make it happen. I'm sure they just played Dad, and Dad didn't realize he was getting played. Around this same time, Einer borrowed money from someone who Jamie described as a loan sharker. He couldn't pay it back, and things got scary. Every Thursday, it was, it was like, oh, I got to get you know this much cash together to go give this guy immediately. And what it, was, that, it was a problem. What did that look like? Because like I, I think from all these stories I hear about Grandpa, it's like he seems like cool, calm, and collected from the way that it's told now. Mm-hmm. So what did that anxiety look like? Well, you could see in the morning he was sweating his brains off. Whether am I going to get the whatever thousands of dollars I need to go? get in the bank and talk to the bank and get it in cash because it couldn't be anything else but cash. But when it was an issue, it was an issue, you know, because this was a leg breaker, you know? Apart from handing over big envelopes of cash to this leg breaker, Einer's passbook scheme was about to come crashing down. He got caught. The New York Times article says that he and four other men were indicted on charges of defrauding Citibank out of $1.6 million dollars. Our producers found some court records, so it's clear that Einer did stand trial. And Jamie remembers the day that his dad went in to hear the verdict. The most he was ever worried was when he was going to court for this this hearing, where he was going to go to, he might have to go to jail. He was more nervous than I had ever. And he would always not let me see him nervous. He didn't want, no father wants to, you know, your kid. So, but I saw him then, and he was, he goes, James... If I'm out here at 3 o'clock, then I'm out here at 3 o'clock. If I'm not... If he's not, then Jamie was supposed to assume he wasn't coming back because he'd been found guilty. He thought he was going to go to jail that day. He wouldn't get... There'd be no... There wouldn't be enough money for bail or anything like that. He was he was going in. This was the end of it, you know? So you dropped him off and then picked him up? I dropped him off. I actually went to church, believe it or not. <laughs> It was in Staten Island, and I forget the name of the church. I actually went to the church and prayed. <laughs> Crazy person. Like that, I would help, but I thought in the times it would. I prayed, said, you know, I really need Dad. He's, this isn't good if he goes away because the whole family's going to be upset. And, <laughs> you know, I can live Peterson's without him. Pray but the same. It's Joel, all just, come on, man. Yeah, let's go. Come, come on. <laughs> this can't be. He's got to get out. And when he got out, he called me up. And said, let's go. I said, all right, let's go. So you picked him up? Said, I picked him up, yeah. What was he like? He was happy as a clown. He was a very happy man. (laughs) Kieran asked Jamie if he remembered what happened next, and Jamie says he took Einer to a bar where he spent the rest of the day drinking. After that, Einer's life kind of fell apart. He ended up moving in with Jamie, and then with his daughter, Robin. He didn't have any money. But Jamie said Einer never stopped scheming. He talked about salvaging Ships. (laughs) Ships. <laughs> he never gave up. Jamie, you know, if there's a ship and it's wrecked, 
we can go salvage that ship and nobody, we just take the money and take everything off the ship and no one can say anything because it's, it's wrecked. And I'm like, okay, really, Dad? Okay. Meanwhile, I'm a teamster with a regular job, 9 to 5, or not 9 to 5, but whatever, regular job. So yeah, Dad, okay. Einer wasn't willing to let go of this idea he had, that greatness was always just around the corner. You know, before he died, he was holding on just before he died, you know? He was holding on, trying to get grasp at straws and, and different things all the time. And he was still trying to make it when it's like, Dad, you should just enjoy your life. You know, why, are you, why are you grasping at straws? I don't think he thought that we were proud of him as kids. And I think he wanted to still prove something to us, mm-hmm. not to the rest of the world, just to us, that he was still a viable, you know, a great man. and. He didn't realize he was. Yeah. In my mind, anyway. Jamie was at peace with who Einer had been. But Kieran wasn't. She felt like the real Einer remained just out of reach. It still feels like he gets to be mysterious. She'd heard the story of the bank heist. But there was so much stuff swirling around it. All these stories Einer had told about himself over the years. Lies. Exaggerations. She still felt like she couldn't see him or his crime clearly. And yet, Jamie was really the last person we could talk to. Or at least, the last living person. Fade in. Establishing shots. Fifth Avenue. Morning. A typical business day... (laughs) In New York City. A typical business day in New York City. After the break, we do our best to bring Einer back to life, in his own words. Spoke Media. Two of our producers went out to Long Island again this past fall to crash another family birthday party. Kieran's dad, Chip, was turning 70. Hey, happy birthday! What are you, what are you guys going to do to celebrate? Oh, well, we're going to have a dinner here, and we're going to... It had been more than a year since the last time we crashed a Peterson family birthday. And this time, the plan was to sit down as a family and read Einer's screenplay aloud. The Petersons were ready. It turned out this whole plan jibed perfectly with another one of their annual traditions. Between Christmas and, and New Year's, we read uh, an episode of The West Wing because we really like The West Wing. But yeah, so we've done this before. <laughs> yeah. So you guys are like professional readers of scripts. I would say no. I would say, I no. Would say no. We're not. No. I would no. say the opposite. My expectations are extremely high. The screenplay, remember, is called Collateral for 10 Million. It follows Peter Sorensen, who is based on Einar Peterson. He's trying to make payroll for his employees. So he gets into business with some shady, mobster-like characters. He decides to forge passbooks to get collateral for a loan, which, according to Jamie, is what Einer did in real life. There's also an affair with a woman named Susan, who's apparently also real, and Peter Sorensen is married to a woman named Marilyn. Einer also had a wife named Marilyn. By the way, we should add here that Einer wrote the notes for the screenplay, but he collaborated on the final product with a screenwriter. So it's not his words alone. So, we sat down in a circle. Everyone had a copy of the script, 
Kieran's dad, Chip, had even pulled the original out of a box somewhere, so he was reading from a copy that Grandpa Einer had actually touched. In our heads, the Family Ghosts producers had started calling this the seance. It's nice and spooky. I'm big into that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if a seance is connecting with the dead, this is the closest possible thing that we could do to get my grandfather to come back. Like, talking about him all the time and focusing on him, he would be definitely like, okay, well, this is my moment. This is what I've been waiting for. So the title is Collateral for 10 Million, based on a story by Einar Olaf Peterson. Copyright 1993. Fade in. Establishing shots. Fifth Avenue. Morning. A typical business day in New York City. A typical business day in New York City. Number 43, Fifth Avenue, comes into view. We move slowly through the luxurious 12-room apartment, catching glimpses of antiques, sculptures, original paintings, and soaring high ceilings that characterize the architectural wizardry of Sanford White. Karen's dad said, actually, wait a second. This isn't totally made up. That was a real apartment that we lived in for a while. That, that, was, the addre- that was my address for, you know, a year, probably. So he did have a 12-room uh, thing for a while, and he did have servants' okay. quarters in the back of it, and they did live there. Other parts of the script also rang true. Peter finishes the last bite of a toasted English muffin and gulps the remains of a Bloody Mary, raising the empty glass to toast his wife. Getting ready for work. Finishing <laughs> his Bloody Mary. Really? Some other parts may have been true, but the family did not want to think about them. He gazes into her eyes a long beat. The her return gaze smolders, promising greater rewards. I found something else at Bloomingdale's. Shall I model it for you this evening? (laughs) And then there were some parts that seemed like they couldn't have actually happened. Could they? Two seconds later, Peter races out of the bank wearing a Superman costume and mask, carrying a medium-sized pouch. Interesting choice. The driver reaches over and opens the passenger door as Peter leaps into the car. In the screenplay, this Superman robbery happens before the whole scheme with the passbooks. Peter Sorensen tries to rob a bank in both a Superman costume and a mask. It doesn't work. Are we sure he didn't try to rob a bank with a Superman costume? I know. Are we, though? Quite honestly, no. No. Are we? Would we know? He would have told us. No, he I definitely think, would have told I us. I think if it did happen, he wouldn't have told you, you because it so, wasn't. Because it didn't, you know, yeah, because it, it, it didn't it, work. But, you know, and yeah. would he, does he admit to those? Yeah. If it no, did happen, yeah. it would have happened around the time I was probably living in the city, and that would have made the The Petersons decided they were pretty sure it never happened. Say, 90% sure. Maybe 85. Then, about two-thirds of the way through the script, we got to a scene between Peter and Susan, the woman he's having an affair with. I'm thinking of leaving Marilyn. Susan faces him in stunned silence. I want to be with you. We can't go on like this. It doesn't make sense. It's like parking on driveways and driving on parkways. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Petersons could not keep it together. They said that was Einer exactly. Susan teary-eyed. What? (laughs) Just one of those dumb things I sometimes wonder about. If an orange is an orange, why isn't... (laughs) Oh my God. If an orange is an orange, why isn't an apple a red? Or a banana a yellow? So like that's and very much... one of his, like, yeah. ironisms. Like dry, parking on driveways. Like a, one of his favorite jokes was, what's, what's green and right. has wheels? And people guess, a garbage right. truck. No. 
and he it's used grass. To say grass, and they'd say, well, grass doesn't have wheels. And he said, well, I did lie about wheels. <laughs> At the end of that scene, Peter Sorensen and Susan have another little exchange. Peter tells Susan that his wife, Marilyn, is barely aware of all the criminal stuff he's involved in. She'd be mortified if she knew half of what I got myself into. You mean there's more? Peter just smiles. <sighs> then again, maybe I'll tell her as soon as we get back to New York. They continue walking. Right there. That was another classic Einar Peterson moment. Even in this screenplay that he wrote himself about his own crimes, there's a sense that he's holding something back not telling everything. It's like real life, that is true, that he would always be like, well, we don't talk about everything. So. I think because it's lamer. When you know everything and, and you realize that pretty much all of these, these schemes failed, it becomes sad. Kieran's dad nodded. We wouldn't hear about the failures. If there was ever a success, I'm sure we would have heard about it. Yeah. yeah. And I guess if there's always like another thing, then yeah. maybe yeah. the right. next thing yep. will next be. Next thing will be, next thing will be. And it is will. Right. Like, his will left 10 grand to each of you, right. or 10 grand to each of us, a diamond mine, a bunch of stuff. He <laughs> left, right, in actuality, right. like the contents of a room, a mm. jazzy scooter, <laughs> and the old beat-up, like, uh, uh, Cadillac. Starved cat. Yeah. No, we didn't have the Cadillac. <laughs> oh, he got rid of the Cadillac at that point. But it's like, yeah. you know, that even was like another little... It was the same thing Jamie had told us. Right up until his death, Einer thought... Things are about to change for me. Even though if he'd looked around, he would have seen that he actually owned just that jazzy scooter, that starved cat. And still... He left uh, a generous bequeathments to all of his kids and grandkids. <laughs> because he believed that he would have that. He yep. always, he he always, always said, no, I'll have, gonna I'll, I'll, I'll have the time. Please, I'll have more than this yeah. <laughs> at yeah. the time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I do... The flip side of this kind of living in fantasy is that you're, the delusion can be a good thing, right? So mm -hmm. I uh, think that's a Peterson it, so. trait. Is to, like, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> it's just it's like, we'll be all right. Whatever happens, we'll have the $10,000 for everyone when we die. Even though there's no indication there's that no we will. And, yeah. Ever, yeah. <laughs> it's something that is a double-edged sword, I think, that it can set you up for huge disappointment but then at the same time you genuinely like do think stuff will work out this conversation had come up over and over again with the petersons kieran had a sense we make these stories sound better than they were and part of her thought let's not do that anymore and when kieran's brothers disagreed about grandpa einer during our first conversation was he a fraud or was there maybe something good about that fraud they were talking about this too and in this circle, with Einer's script on their laps, the Petersons started going back and forth about this. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Kieran's dad, Chip, said, I think it's good. You know, I, I have his attitude about, you know, you're gonna wake up in the morning and everything's gonna be great today, you know? I'm turning 70 today. A lot of people that would be turning 70 would be looking at their life as like, okay, well, that's the end of that, you know, just. <laughs> go sit in a rocking chair somewhere, and I definitely don't have anything remotely like that in, in my head. To me, it's like, it's the next thing, let's go. Kieran's sister Colleen was like, yeah, I do this too. As somebody who like struggles with like depression and stuff like that, where it is like oftentimes 
really difficult to see things as other than like gray. Having this part of myself uh, where it's like, I'll come out on top, you know, sort of regardless of how I'm feeling or what happens to me in my life or whatever, is like a useful tool that I can use or not. One of our producers cut in here and said, okay, you guys are clearly good at looking at the bright side. Does it ever get in the way of looking at bad things that you guys feel like you would want to look at? Like, you minimize it. This happened. Well, it wasn't that bad. Like, oh, come on. And it's not even a minimizing. I think in my head, bad things genuinely feel smaller. Kieran said sometimes she'll talk to friends about something hard that's happening in her life, and she'll play it down. And they'll say, wait, Kieran, do you hear how much that sucks? Maybe you need to, like, take a day off from work? Are you okay? And I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm bleeding from the head. It's fine. Like, <laughs> and I think also there's a certain amount of it that means that like the accounting of our lives is just off in a way that you can't always trust or can never trust in a lot of ways. To be like, did things happen? Like, yeah. did bad things ever happen? It's unclear sometimes. <laughs> like, if anything bad really happened, and that's a scary, unsteady ground to be on at all times. Well, I think it's interesting too that like all of the people who have gotten sober in our family and like part of the 12 steps is taking honest inventory of yourself and how that plays against this sort of Peterson (laughs) blinders, you know, because I think with this delusions of grandeur mentality, you either are doing one or the other. You're never saying this is truly how this is. Truly how this is. That's exactly what Kieran was after. In the case of Einer's bank heist, unfortunately, there's only the screenplay version to go on. In the movie, what happens is that the bank heist falls apart by accident. Someone accidentally spills coffee on one of the forged passbooks, a clerk calls to check the account balance, and all is revealed. Two FBI agents show up in Peter Sorensen's office. When they leave, Peter's co-conspirator, Harry, is worried that they're done for. And Peter and Harry do eventually stand trial. But just like Einer was in real life, they're acquitted. We don't know how Einer got off in real life. In the screenplay, it's some lawyerly hocus-pocus. None of the witnesses have communicated with Peter Sorensen directly. They've just talked to people that he worked with. That amounts to hearsay, not enough for a conviction. And so, when the verdict comes back... We find the defendants... Peter Sorensen and Harry Fields, not guilty. Hey, Everyone hey, in the hey, erupts hey, this time. Kieran still thought her grandfather was getting off too easy. I think the, the constant thing that I've been struggling with throughout this entire process has been like, we, he looks so good and it's frustrating that he always looks so good. And I know that's like, he designed his whole life around looking good. He gets away scot-free and so the story is good. But the family also felt like they'd sort of spent some time with Einer for the first time in a while. I thought it was nice. (laughs) There were were times where it was like you were transported back to like the best part of him in reading, you know, different parts. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that was nice. There's a twist ending to the screenplay. Susan, the woman Peter was having the affair with, runs off with the money he'd stashed away for himself, $6 million. The final shot of the screenplay is Susan in her yacht. 
we see a name painted on its aft end. The name written in flowing script is The Last Laugh. Hold shot as the yacht sails slowly away. Fade out. The end. end. Listening to the Petersons read the screenplay, it was tempting to feel like Einer himself had gotten the last laugh. Like he'd spent his whole life concocting this incredible mythology around himself so that his failures and flaws were hard to see clearly. And here was his family, long after his death, still telling and retelling Einer's tall tales, remembering him on his own invented terms. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized there might be something more interesting happening at the end of the screenplay. Einer gets away with the heist, but Susan is the one who claims the actual prize. Her reward for putting up with Einer is to sail off into the sunset with the fortune he thought would be his. And in a way, that's what happened during our seance. When Einer died, none of the Petersons inherited his supposed fortune. Einer may not have been the mastermind he liked to portray himself as in his stories. But in this weird, drunk, fairly narcissistic way, he gave his family something to believe in. I mean, it is it defines our family. It huh. is what makes us who we are. Yeah. This ability to have this kind of belief in ourselves and belief that things will be okay, but not have evidence to support that. Right. I think it's a huge part of who we all are. Uh, and it comes directly from him. This whole process of looking into Einer's crimes, trying to unravel them, we've been at it for more than a year. And I'm very sad to report that we never even came close to figuring out what the hell Clams R Us was. But it has been a big year for Kieran and the Petersons, many of whom, as we mentioned, have gotten sober. Yeah, I don't know if I can talk about it too much without, like, crying much, but, um... I mean, I think it's huge. I think my... My grandfather was, like, a raging alcoholic. Kieran says she really saw the change on that day they all sat down to read the script. I cannot remember the last time I hung out with my family for a full day like that, and no one drank. I don't know if that's ever happened. That makes me so, like, proud. I think the Petersons got the last laugh. Einer spent his life trying and failing to live in this elaborate fantasy world. And today, the Petersons have the best of both worlds, the one he invented and the one where they can, well, soberly acknowledge his shortcomings. While we were reading the screenplay, at one point Kieran's sister Colleen said, I wish Grandpa had sometimes told a boring story, something from his real life. I'm like, we'll never know the mundane because he hated that part yeah. of life in general. Let's keep it, let's go back in to the fantasy world. <laughs> Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman, with Vera Carruthers, Soraya Shockley, Sally Helm, Odelia Rubin, Jenna Hannum, and Janiel Kastner. This episode was reported by Sally, with additional reporting from Odelia and Jacob Smith. Our story editor, is Michaela Bly. Our production assistant is Julia Press. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett. Our theme music is by Luis Guerra. Executive producers for season three are myself, along with Keith Reynolds and Aaliyah Tavakolian at Spoke Media. 
Special thanks, as always, to the kindred spirits, our supporters on Patreon, who help make our work possible. In addition to ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus content, kindred spirits have already heard this episode. They get to listen to everything we make before anyone else. And this week, they're getting a special bonus, a copy of the original screenplay for Collateral for 10 million. If you have the means, please consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash familyghosts. We are proud creative partners of Spoke Media. Find more great podcasts at spokemedia.io. Season three continues next week. We'll talk to you then. And thank you for listening to Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. Next time on Family Ghosts. She puts this thing on the counter and she says, this is for you. And, you know, I'm like, okay. So I pick this thing up and it's a coin. And this coin says Jamaica. Growing up, Mariah knew nothing about her father, aside from the fact that he lived in Jamaica. And then one day in a bagel shop, a mysterious woman gave Mariah a Jamaican coin from 1977, the year Mariah was born. How often do you get a coin the year that you're born, the place that you're thinking of going? So Mariah did what anyone would do. I bought a ticket to Jamaica. Armed with little more than a coin and a hunch, Mariah embarked on a search for a man she'd never met in a country she'd never been to. I remember flying to Montego Bay and seeing the island for the first time. And the first question in my mind is like, he's down there, like, he's here, like, I'm, I'm here. That's next week, when season three of Family Ghosts continues. You're listening to WALT. Homemade Radio.